the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. A cop of murder. You never know what will trigger a person to become a murderer. A tragic past or a horrible accident, the possibilities are endless. On November 28, 1963, a man was born who would use his medical diagnosis as a trigger to take lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Thierry Paulin was born on November 28, 1966, in Martinique to a teenage mother who left to raise him on her own. He was raised predominantly by his paternal grandmother, who, by all accounts, ignored her young grandson until he was 10 years old. That's when his mother, now married and starting a new family, asked him to come with her and his new step-siblings. He tried to fit in and tried to blend in with the family, but began acting erratic, and when that behavior turned violent, his mother asked his birth father, the man who moved to France just after his birth, to take him in. He accepted his son, but only to avoid paying alimony. Pretty early on, Thierry began having issues in his new home. He was a mixed-race boy amongst white peers and often found himself on the receiving end of taunting and bullying. This, combined with his poor grades, helped him to make the decision to join the military when he was just 17 years old, joining the parachutist troops. Unfortunately, this new scenery did very little about the bullying. He simply exchanged childhood insults about his race for adult taunts about his race and his homosexuality. On November 14, 1982, Thierry robbed an elderly woman at knife point and was arrested soon thereafter. He was sentenced to two years in prison, but the sentence was suspended and he remained free. Just two years later, he left the army and moved to Paris to be with his mother. Their relationship did not improve. With his military career over, Thierry looked for a new way to make money. He became a waiter at the Paradis Latin, a nightclub renowned for its spectacular drag shows. This is where he learned the ropes and began his own career in drag performing to the songs of Eartha Kitt. He invited his mother to see his new artistic profession, but she left the club just a few seconds after his act began. In addition to the club giving him a creative outlet and a way to make some money, it also introduced him to a man who would change his life forever, a man named Jean Thierry Mathurin. The 19-year-old was a drug addict from French Guiana, and Thierry fell for him hard and fast. 
He also fell for the feeling of being high and soon found himself as a low-level drug dealer and a pretty severe addict. Around the same time, between 1984 and 1987, French police began noticing a string of murders amongst elderly women who lived on their own in the Montmartre district. Their hands and legs were all bound, and they had been either strangled, stabbed, or beaten to death. One stabbed so severely that she was almost cut in half, and another was forced to swallow bleach. In total, there were about 10 to 20 victims. Police knew these crimes were all connected, and all robbed for a meager amount of francs. But they had no viable leads on who the assailant was. But meager or not, that money started to add up. And while these attacks continued, Thierry and John Thierry were living an extravagant lifestyle. They spent their nights in clubs, knocking back bottles of champagne and snorting coke. They did this almost every single night. And between their partying, they found time to replenish their money supply by brutally murdering women who found themselves helpless against two men. Many believe the women were found at random. Others say that Thierry picked up women who seemed unpleasant or unfriendly when he engaged with them in day-to-day conversation. He would later tell police he simply, quote, tackled the weakest of them. In November of 1984, the couple went to Toulouse to stay for a few months with Thierry's father. But unable to accept his son's partner, violent fights began that resulted in the couple's split. Jean Thierry moved, returned to Paris while Thierry tried to start his own firm of transvestite artists, a plan that failed by 1985. Now, if the couple broke up before 1985 really began, who was the one committing the rest of the murders that spanned into 1987? From December 20th, 1985 to June 14th, 1986 alone, eight more women lost their lives. And though these crimes seemed less violent, they were connected to the eight plus that occurred in 1984. Which one of these men continued the series of murders? Thierry Paulin, after attacking one of his dealers with a baseball bat and winding up in jail for a year, left the prison with a death sentence. Not a legal one, but a medical one. He'd been diagnosed HIV positive and knew his days were numbered. This diagnosis triggered something within him that made his murderous appetite accelerate at an alarming rate. He made the decision to kill as many women as possible in his last years, as well as throw lavish parties and spend exorbitant amounts of money, money he got from his victims. More bodies piled up and police collected fingerprints from 150,000 suspects. However, Thierry's prints had somehow vanished in the system. They didn't get a hit until December of 1987, and that was only after Thierry made the mistake of leaving a victim alive. On November 25, 1987, he attempted to murder two women. The first was successful, but the second, 87-year-old Bertha Final Terry, managed to survive after being left for dead. She was able to give an extremely accurate description of her attacker. Enough so that, on December 1st, an officer stopped Thierry as he walked down the street. He had his fingerprints taken, and he was connected to the murders. After two days in custody, Thierry Paulin admitted to everything, taking responsibility for 21 murders and implicating his ex-partner. In early 1988, Thierry fell ill and succumbed to the effects of AIDS. He was hospitalized in a state in near paralysis, suffering from tuberculosis and meningitis. 
He died on April 16, 1989, having never been tried for any of his crimes. Jean-Thierry Mathurin, on the other hand, was tried for the first nine attacks and murders and was sentenced to life in prison plus 18 years. He remained in prison until January of 2009. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.